Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have my dear friend, Babs Rawls-Ivy. Many of you know Babs as she is my co-host on our radio show and podcast, Criminal Justice Insider. We are in our fourth season of Criminal Justice Insider, still the only regularly scheduled criminal justice radio program in Connecticut, although we have on many national justice-related guests as well. Trigger alert. In this episode, we go deep into Babs' story of childhood abuse and trafficking. We also discuss Babs' life since, from attending Barber Scotia College, an historically black college in the South, voter registration with Andrew Young and Reverend Jesse Jackson, earning a Master of Public Administration at Baruch College in New York City, rape crisis counseling, and then as an alderman in New Haven, where she ran afoul of the law. After serving time in Danbury Federal Prison, Babs went on to be lifted up and serve as editor of the inner city newspaper in New Haven, radio show host, and board member of many arts and justice nonprofits in New Haven. So coming up, Babs Rawls-Ivy, my friend, on White Collar Week. I hope you'll join us. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white-collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white-collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer, so I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to White Collar Week. Um, Often I say that it's a special show, but this is really a special show because we we have my dear friend and partner in radio and compadre in so many things in life, um, Babs Rawls-Ivy with us. And um, reading her bio would be almost ridiculous because it's so large and has so many things. Um, but I will tell you that she's a nonprofit board member on a bunch of different nonprofits in uh, New Haven and Connecticut. She's one of the great eight that um, were the, uh, the inaugural um, admittees to the Connecticut um, Criminal Justice uh, Hall of Fame. It has its own actual name, but um, she is the editor of um what's it what's the name of the newspaper babs inner city news inner city news she's the editor of inner city news forgive me a little senior moment there and she has a radio show on wnhh in new haven five days a week that everybody knows her about from and um twice a month she and i do our criminal justice insider radio show and podcast together we are in our fourth season right now and um Topic and topically, Babs also uh, committed and went to prison for white collar crime. So that's all a lot of stuff we have in common um, in different ways. But um, I've invited her to be with us today because uh, we're going to go deep into Babs. And uh, Babs is uh, generally the interviewer, but today she's the interviewee. So hello, Babs, my dear. How are you? Hello, Jeff, my love. I, I'm so proud of you. This is such a good concept. 
and I've been watching and I've, I've enjoyed uh, what you've been able to pull together. So high five to you. You know, um, creating something normative out of something as difficult as criminal justice issues, you know, and just making it part of the, of the regular conversation, right? I mean, it, it happens to people. Sometimes they go to prison, they come home, they got to start their lives again. But we create such drama around it, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we do, and uh, and uh, the media does especially. So um, I just want the opportunity to get real, you know, especially with you, and um, tell us about your life and, uh, and and your background, where you grew up, um, and what your influences were, and um, let's start from there. Because you are, you are fascinating beyond compare. Oh, I, I don't think so. But all right, I, I, I will say this: it, um, I think you doing this um, with folks um, gives people an opportunity to sort of um, see that the story of somebody going to jail for committing a crime is not the end of the story. It's not even the beginning of the story. It's just a part of a story. Um, and so you've done a great job of sort of um, putting people's stories right up front um, mm -hmm. in people's faces so that we don't forget people. You know, we don't we don't can't, you know, we're in a cancel culture. Um, and uh, and we are quick to cancel people if 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 they don't perform to our expectations. So so I just wanted to make sure I say that. Well, thank you, my love. So. I, I, so why don't we go all the way back? Tell us, tell us um, where you grew up, what kind of family you came from, and what and and kind of what led you all the way up to your beauty queen days. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I grew up. I'm from New Haven. I grew up in New Haven. Uh, uh, my parents uh, were married in their twenties. Um, uh, actually, where I live now, I live around the corner from my first some of my earliest years of, of being a kid. Uh, I live around the corner from that. So uh, uh, my parents had five children, um, had three brothers and a sister. I had a brother that passed um, um, uh, from sudden, sudden uh, infant syndrome, yeah. death syndrome. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that stayed with my family uh, till now. Like we mm -hmm. still, uh, my 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 younger brothers and sisters weren't around, so they don't they don't know uh, anything about about that. Mm. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, I grew up in a in a in a in a in a house with a mother and a father. They both worked. Um, uh, blue collar people. Uh, my 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 father worked at uh, Winchester, uh, Olin Firearms. You know the people that made the the repeating arms. You know the right. gun. Um, my mother was, a, uh, was, uh, worked in a commercial laundry. Um, a lot of the women in her day were domestics. Um, um, she was a domestic sometime. Uh, we moved to, uh, Church Street South when I was maybe 10, mm -hmm. about 10 years old. Um, and I, I, you know, that's, I think those, and when I was about 10 or 12, 10, 11, uh, my household became very violent. You know, my father had a very serious drinking problem, um, very violent house. I mean, other than the violence, it was a, a normal household, but 
grew up with a lot of violence. You know, my father, you know, beat my mother and then he turned on us and that mm. kind of thing. Uh, my father uh, was, uh, uh, you know, I, I think as I think about it now, you know, he was quite a brilliant man with a, with a, like a, you know, like a sixth grade education. He was an avid reader, uh, very charming man, um, uh, by all accounts, quite attractive, very handsome, uh, had lots of friends, knew lots of people. Uh, but he had a, you know, he had a very dark side, you know, mm-hmm. very, very dark side. Uh, my father, uh, sexually assaulted me when I was about, I don't know, 12, mm. about 12. And then, um, started passing me around to his friends for money, uh, when I was about 12. By the time I was 15, uh, I was able to sort of, uh, uh, talk about it and tell, um, and it came to an end, mm. but it didn't come to an end with like, uh, uh, police charges or anything like that it just came to an end when uh the family came together and um just sort of uh removed him out of the household uh, that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, but my parents never divorced um they separated i went off to college um when i went off to college my mother took care of him. my father had gotten cancer and so she took care of him for a time um until she couldn't take care of him anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he died. He died maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. So, uh, so that's, that's a, that's the story in a nutshell. Uh, so I grew up in a very tumultuous, violent household, but at the same time, a very caring, loving household. Uh, I didn't want for stuff like, even though we were poor, I never really felt poor until I was in a, you know, until I was a grown up. Um, I didn't feel poor, uh, in those days. I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood where we all knew each other. We knew people. I knew my neighbors. Um, I, I had friends who I grew up with. Um, so it was very close-knit, close-knit community at Church Street South. And if you know anything about New Haven, Church Street South doesn't exist anymore. It, was, it has been torn down. It was the uh, housing development across the street from the train station. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know anything about Union Station um, and that particular part of town, uh, the police department sits on one end, the train station sits on the other end, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, it's direct access to downtown New Haven. Um, so, uh, so it is no longer there. Uh, it has been uh, torn down, and um, they're looking to build some other kind of housing, uh, mixed use, mixed income housing um, there. Uh, so, but for me, it was a wonderful place. Uh, did did you ever have a, a reconciliation or anything restorative with your father? I mean, did you ever no. were able to talk about it ever? No, 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 no. There was never any reconciliation. There was never, I, I don't think I would have at this point in my life. Um, no, um, there was no conversation about this. Uh, it was, it was never discussed. It was shut down. And, uh, I think the things that my, my, my family would say to me was like, well, it's in the past, move on from it. Mm -hmm. There was no therapeutic support. (laughs) There was no, um, um, it was, I was just expected to just move on from it. And, and I did move on from it. That's not the healthiest thing to do. No. Um, it's not, uh, it's not wise. It's not good. It's not sane. Uh, but I, but move on. I did. But I, I can, and, uh, I, but I can see how 
it informs your empathy now. And because on our radio show, we have a lot of people who grew up in similar circumstances, difficult circumstances. And um, I see you relate to them, you know, on a, on this kind of uh, unconscious, subconscious level where you, you're able to ask, you know, questions that are probing, but not hurtful. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I like conversation. Like I, I believe everybody has a story. I like other people's stories. Um, I'm always fascinated how people um, um, come through adversity and challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, I mean, our show, people have to survive the best way that they can. So I'm always interested in that. Uh, um, I, I don't know if my story is a, is a survival story. It's just a story that uh, I, I always feel like I'm still coming through it, yeah. even though I've made peace with it. Mm-hmm. But it's not a story that, you know, you can be done with. It's not a it's not a happily ever after story. Yeah. But I am happily ever after. So there's that. Um so so you so you go off to college. Where where did you go to college? I went and, to college in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, a little historically black college called uh Barbara Scotia College where Mary McLeod Bethune went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you, if you know anything about Mary McLeod Bethune, she was an advisor to several presidents. Um, she started Bethune Cookman in Florida. Um, um, so Google her. She's, uh, an amazing, an amazing prolific, uh, woman, um, uh, way ahead of her time. And, and what, and what, what did you learn there in terms of your self-actualization? I mean, you, you, I did. I mean, you're you're coming from you know you're coming from the streets of New Haven, and now you're in a in a in in a completely different environment, and that's probably and and I, I'm I'm jumping ahead because I know you, um, but it's probably um, a time where you're starting to feel your um, your um, intelligence. And uh, the the parts of you that might have been somewhat stifled. I loved it. Yeah. It was the best thing I could have done for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because Concord is, you know, in a, in a, in a, is, you know, just outside of Charlotte. Charlotte is the big city. Mm-hmm. Concord is like a suburban. And, and I, you know, uh, I was there a few years ago when I took my daughter off to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my daughter went to, uh, uh, Bennett, which is about 45 minutes away from where I went to school. And, um, um, and it's so built up Concord, North Carolina, beautiful. Like I could live there now. It's so beautiful. Uh, but I mean, co- going off to college was the best thing for me. It, it really gave me an opportunity to, uh, be on my own, uh, to grow, uh, to become, uh, to dream big and to, uh, learn. You know, I've never, uh, you know, coming from Connecticut and going to the South with its own awakening, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, my, my grandparents are from the South. So I've been in the South. I spent my summers in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to live there full on, uh, with a whole different kind of thing. Um, and to be with other, um, black kids, you know, uh, from all walks of life, uh, uh I've never seen well to do black kids, you know, rich black kids. Uh, I, I, I knew 
poor black kids because I was one of them. But mm-hmm. I never, I never had any uh, interaction with rich black kids, uh, and so that was fascinating to mm-hmm. me. Uh, that kind of money, that kind of affluence uh, with black people. Um, so, so it was, it was wonderful. I got to do a lot of cool things. You know, I got to do uh, uh, art, and I got to do drama and and debate, and uh, I got to do uh, uh, spoken word. And I mean, I really made lifelong friends. I pledged a sorority. I mean, I got to do some really cool stuff in those four years, um, and it really was uh, the foundation for uh, what I would do for the rest of my life. You know, I went off to school to 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 be a doctor. I I was in a a, a science program, mm-hmm. uh, but I got caught up in um, politics. You know, in in protest, and uh, and so my my <laughs> academic advisor said, you know, you have talent, but your heart is not in this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You might want to you might want to find another major. <laughs> uh, and so I chose another major. I got out of uh, science. And uh, chose a business major, so I, I I ultimately graduated with a degree in uh, business administration, with a concentration in marketing and advertising. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which is a far cry from uh, medicine, but uh, but it but that gave me opportunity to like join the NAACP mm. and 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 do student government and uh, and uh, do all you know do all the other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave me time to 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 uh, you know see some of the South and do voter registration. I did voter registration with um, Andrew Young and Reverend Jackson in the South. No kidding. Know. Yeah, so I I got to do that under mm-hmm. the uh, Student Government Association. Mm-hmm. So 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 uh, so yeah. So I couldn't I couldn't pursue medicine because it required so much time in the lab that I just couldn't do because <laughs> I wanted to be. On the well, front lines. Well, you're a people person. We know that. So yes, the lab just wasn't my thing. I love being on the front lines and protesting and marching and uh, registering people to vote. And I mean, that was that was an amazing time. It turned so. out to be pretty um, prescient and prophetic as uh, as things evolved because. Um, well, one, you stayed on the, on, the, on the front lines of a lot of things, but registering people to vote is, especially in the South, is up to date. I mean, that's the thing. You only have to go back a few weeks in order to understand, understand what, it, what how important that is. Yes. And yes. Yes. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, it's funny to 30 years ago, and the same issues are still pressing 30 years you know, people still, you know, we're still, we're still trying to get people out to vote. We're still registering people to vote. We're still engaging people to exercise their right to vote. Um, um, and it's still as, as exciting as it was 30 years ago. Mm. It's equally exciting, exciting now. And now, you know, you see, you really see the fruition of, of what voting can do and how uh, it can change the dynamic of a, of a community and a state. Yeah, while, while we're on that topic, um, uh, you know, you and I are both uh, uh, residents of Connecticut, and I don't take my um, I don't take for granted the ability to vote for a second, mm-hmm. because uh, in, in Connecticut, for those who don't who don't know, um, in Connecticut, as soon as you are um, out of parole, 
you can vote. And, yes. And and because I was I was a uh, uh, federal uh, federal prison, as was Babs. Um, we don't have parole. We're on probation, and in probation you can vote. So Babs, I don't know if I ever told you the story. So I got I got out of prison in 2007, and they had just recently changed the law, but within the, within that year, and um, I was on home confinement, staying uh, with a friend in New Canaan, which wasn't a bad place to be on home confinement, and um, I wanted to register to vote. So I, I walked down because I couldn't drive. I wasn't allowed to drive. So I walked down to the town hall and I went to the registrar of voters. And I walked in and I said, um, I'm a felon. I just got out of prison a couple of weeks ago. And I want to, uh, I want to register to vote. And this guy's like 75 years old. And, and he looks at me, he looks at me like this, right? And then he turns around to other people in the office and he screams at the top of his lungs. He goes, we got our first one. <laughs> so I was the first person in New Canaan, Connecticut to register as a felon. And they, and they announced it. <laughs> he announced it. <laughs> so there's my, there's my little claim. There's my 15 minutes of fame. I mean, that's a, you know, that really is a wonderful thing in Connecticut because I was, I was very concerned about that uh, when I came out. And then when I found out that I could register to vote because I was just on probation, you know, I mean, uh, uh, and I had served my time, they were like, yeah, you can vote. I was like, really? <laughs> so, I thought so, I had lost my right. So w w why don't we jump into your, um, you're your, your through college now. Um, why don't we jump into kind of your professional career, where you went? Uh, I know you went on to grad school too. So fill us in, fill us in kind of like, and we're, we're now in the time period up until you got into some trouble. So I know that's a lot of years, but I, but just kind of fill us in. Well, you know, when I came out of, when I came out of college, my first job, I was an insurance adjuster <laughs> in Connecticut. I got, license, I got my license as an insurance adjuster. I was terrible at it. Like I was, like I was one of the worst adjusters I had to be, uh, and I did that for a few years. It was my first job; it was very corporate. Um, uh, I worked for a company called J Neal McDonald Companies in Hamden, and they uh, and they helped me get my adjuster's license. And I mm -hmm. I did uh, personal lines, and then I left them and I, I went to work for Covenant States in Hartford, mm -hmm. that became some other big insurance outfit. Yeah. And I, and I ended up getting fired from there because I was just a terrible adjuster. Like, I just didn't understand the game, right? <laughs> like, I, just, I was like, you know, if people send me their, 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 um, their, you know, if they have a mechanic that they like and they had an accident, they sent me their, whatever you call it, their, uh, this is how much it costs to get it done. I would just pay that. The appraisal? The appraisal mm -hmm. and and my boss is like, no, you, no, you, you're giving away money. Oh, you have to make them go. You send them to our people and you send them and you you get three appraisals and you take the lowest one. And I said, but the lowest one doesn't fix their car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just I was I was terrible. So yeah. I so I got um, and I realized that corporate life was just not for me. So I ended up I was a volunteer anyway. So I was volunteering. 
um, I started volunteering at uh, rape crises. You know, uh, uh, I started volunteering at rape crises. My sister uh, was doing an internship, I believe. And uh, she's like, come and do some rape crisis work. And uh, so I went and I got trained and became a rape crisis counselor for, as a volunteer. Mm. Um, and I liked it so much. They hired me as a associate director. Mm-hmm. And I would man- staff the, uh, I'd staff the uh, hotline and um, um, train police officers and, um, you know, go on calls at night. If somebody was raped and go to the hospital with them, mm. all, all those kinds of things, walk them through the system. Um, and, and it, and it, it really was pivotal for me because up until that point, um, um, Jeff, I had never worked on my own, um, incest trafficking issues, abuse yeah. issues. I had never worked on them. I never mm-hmm. saw therapy. I never did any of that. Mm-hmm. So working with women who were raped helped me work through my issues, mm-hmm. um, and helped me find a therapeutic outlet, uh, setting to help, you know, un- you know, to help understand what had happened to me. Um, so it really was um, serendipitous that I worked there mm-hmm. uh, and that I worked there for a period of time that helped me heal a lot of uh, 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 brokenness that was in me. I mean, it really did make a tremendous difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by this time, I was a grown woman. You know, I was was already a grown up. Uh, um, and so uh, so that was very helpful. Um, and so I did that for a while. Uh, I, I was a volunteer at an AIDS project and got hired at an AIDS project to be a, a associate director there, um, doing the care and cuisine uh, at the height of the AIDS epidemic, delivering meals to people who were sick and shut in. Um, and then I, I and then I, I left there and uh, went to New York to work for Essence and uh, and a and a, part, a PR uh, guru, a well-known PR person. Uh, and came back, met my husband, got married, uh, um, worked other j- kinds of nonprofit jobs, um, and then uh, ran Jumpstart uh, for for young kids. Uh, got to go to the White House, stood in the Oval Office, and then uh, got a job at the Housing Authority. And that's when it that's when I made very bad decisions. When I went to work for the Housing Authority under a nonprofit that they created, um, uh, Alliance for Strong Communities, um, I found my, myself uh, 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 at home in financial disarray. Um, they were paying me a, a, a nice penny, but I had poor financial habits. Were, were, you, with and, your hus- uh, were you still with your husband at that point? Yes, I was married. Yes, mm-hmm. you're married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was making... I was making good money. We were making good money. We were just poor stewards of our of our resources. I mean, we were just poor stewards. Um, and uh, and I think we were living way above our means. Uh, um, and so I started um, embezzling funds, thinking that I could, uh, you know, first it started with, I'll just take enough money until I get my paycheck. And then I would, when I get my paycheck, I will put it back. And, you know, it's a snowball effect. You never really put it back because it becomes the need becomes greater and greater and greater and greater, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and we were trying to buy a house and our finances wasn't in order. And so I was so I was embezzling money to to try to pay off debt so that we could buy a house. I, I really was. We were just really in a, you know, in a very I was just really in a very bad place mm-hmm. and uh, it had no real sense of. Uh, 
I knew what I was doing was wrong. I just, I just thought I would have time to sort of repair and, and fix. And, uh, and by the time it all came out, I never got the opportunity to repair. Once I was caught, I just said, yes, I, I, this is what I was doing. Um, and so, uh, I was elected to office at the time and, uh, uh, I wasn't elected to, I wasn't, a, I had left the housing authority. Um, um, I, I had the choice of leaving the housing authority or being fired. And so I left the housing authority and, and started working at adult ed, got a job at adult ed because I, I was elected to office at this point. And, uh, I was a police commissioner before I was elected to office. Uh, and so when it all came out, uh, I, I, I was fired from, um, adult ed. Um, I had, I had, uh, um, uh, all the stuff that I was doing, the forensic audit, uh, found, uh, came out, um, that I had indeed, um, embezzled, not quite $50,000. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a hell of a lot of money, but it was enough to get the uh, attention of the feds. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, it was a very difficult time. I had mm-hmm. to resign from office. It was very public. I was and, on the front page. And, and you, you were an elderman, right? An elder person. Alderman. An alderman. 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 Yeah, I was an alderman. I was a, and I was on my second term. I was halfway through my second term. Uh, this is New Haven. Uh, this is New Haven. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it was very, it was very painful. It was very humiliating and uh, very public. Yeah, you know, very public. I knew it was coming. Uh, I knew it was coming uh, when I uh, uh, saw a second term. I knew that the feds were investigating, mm-hmm. uh, but they were they were dragging their feet, um, and so it 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 um it, it seemed like they weren't really interested in um, pursuing it. Mm-hmm. But there were people who was concerned that. Um, my star was rising on the political front yeah. and pressed, pre- you know, pressed mm-hmm. uh, uh, the feds to like, well, listen, um, we want to know where this, you know, this needs to be, this needs to move forward. Um, and, I'm, uh, I'm always interested in that period before the, the, uh, the bottom falls out. Cause yes. it's like, you don't really know what to do. I mean, in, right. my, ca- in my case, for example, I was lawyering, and so I knew that I was things that things were gonna uh, that were things were gonna end in a year and a half or however long it was. But do you take on new cases? Right, like, you, like I didn't know what to do either. Yeah, yes, yeah. Like, do I stop? Like, do I not run for this for the second term? Like, yeah. do I go away? Do I? I think in hindsight, if I had to do it all over again, I would not have run for a second term. Yeah. I would have, I would have, rec- I would have been a recluse, and then it wouldn't have been so much in the paper. It wouldn't have been. It would have just been a footnote rather than a full-on front-page, day-after-day kind of thing. Well, maybe it, w- it would have been what it would have been, but the, the thing is, you don't know what to do. I think it, it w- I don't think it would have been a because I, I wouldn't have been a big deal. No one would have yeah, cared. Yeah. But the denial is huge and the trauma is huge and it's so hard. And you can't trust other people with the information. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't even know how I got through those times. I, I live with a great deal of fear 
that it was coming. Yeah. So that was very stressful. <laughs> yeah. It was very stressful. It was stressful in my marriage. Uh, it that really was the thing that broke the marriage. Um, you know, my my then husband could not live. Uh, he couldn't live with the embarrassment of it, and the and the stress of it. Uh, you know, and you, a lot of other too. Did you did you have any kids at that point? Yes, we had we had we had four children. But they were very young. All right, so 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 tell everybody the the circumstances that that you that you came to have four children. <laughs> Other than the birds and the bees. <laughs> <laughs> now my 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 children. Uh, we adopted children. We adopted four children. Um, uh, uh, we adopted four children and uh, two boys and two girls. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were uh, in the process of adopting the very last child mm-hmm. uh, when all this um, kicked off. And and we were in danger of losing that child, right? Mm, sure. There was a possibility that they that they were like, we might have to take this child out of this house. But, you know, we had really good workers who knew us and were like, no, we're not going to take this child out of this house. This is what happens to families and your family. And um, well, well, were you, were you, know, you, were it, you fostering the kids first? Well, we in Connecticut, you have to be a foster parent, but we, whatever child we took, we were their foster parent um, with the path to adoption. Yeah. So we didn't have, we didn't have different kids, whatever came to our house, that's the kid we would choose to adopt. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so there weren't, there weren't um, other kids. It was, just the kids that we were adopting that were our foster kids first. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so, 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 so now um, the, the stuff has come down and um, it does Norm represent you? Is, is that what happened? So, so I didn't have an attorney. Um, I, I, uh, at that time I, I didn't have an attorney. I didn't even really, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any money. Um, somebody, uh, came to me and said, um, uh, I, I'm not going to say who came to me, but <laughs> people, people were kind enough to say, we got you an attorney mm-hmm. uh, who will do this pro bono or mm. will do this. Um, and so I went and met with him and, uh, so and I liked Norm, him right off the bat. So this is Norm Pattis, just to serve everyone knows. Now I had talked to other attorneys before I got to Norm. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to Norm. Somebody brought me to Norm. I was on my own trying to find somebody who would take this case, uh, mm-hmm. who would take it. I was really just, you know, I just really didn't know what to do. You know, mm-hmm. you need a criminal attorney. And I was just like, oh, you know, and you need a criminal attorney who knows something about federal stuff. Yep. So um, somebody brought me to him and uh, a prominent person in the community brought me to him. And uh, uh, and so we met and he just decided that he liked me well enough to take my case. Um, and we and we're still friends. We became friends and we are still friends. Um, so he took my case and uh, um, and uh, walked me through the process and, you know, tried to keep me relaxed and, uh, you know, calm and. He's like, you know, I'm going to try to keep you out of jail. And then he was like, well, well, you know, at the most you could do is 15 months. Uh, the least you could do is probably 10 months. That's what we were working on. We were working on, you know, uh, you know, 10 months, maximum 15 months or maybe a little bit more. Uh, 
um, and so, uh, so I was planning for that. And, and man, that was stressful because my children were very, very little. Yeah. You know, we had to take them out of their school and put them in a different school. We had to, I mean, it was so many, so many things that you had to prepare for. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, when I finally did get sentenced, uh, it, it turned out to be 29 days. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to just make a little, a little note here because Norm Pattis is a very polarizing guy. He takes on, you know, a lot of high pro profile cases like Fotis yes. and Alex Jones and a, a lot, lot more. And, um, if anybody saw him on, uh, on Jackie Pulverari's, uh, podcast last month, um, you definitely saw some of the things that motivate him and his, uh, and his sense of, uh, of justice and egalitarianism and, and, and how he, he, he uh, how he strived to do the right thing. Whether or not you agree with what he's done, you can see that he's a complex guy who has, who's really tried to fight for people who, who need it, um, in a non-judgmental way. Um, and, but here we have a story of someone who, you, who, um, he did it pro bono, right? So that is really not every lawyer is so anxious to take on pro bono cases. No. <laughs> no, no, you know, no. It's, it's about you know, money cash. <laughs> no, no. And, uh, I will be forever grateful. Yeah. Um, forever grateful because uh he did me a kindness and and i really think he made the difference in uh in the time that i got um because uh, i i you know i got 30 days i served 29 and uh so i got 29 i got 30 days uh five months house arrest and three years of uh supervised release so so you went to uh danbury right yes I went to Danbury Federal Prison Camp, mm -hmm. um, and uh, oh my God! Uh, you know, it's like what damn near fifteen years ago, but um, it just how, seems. How how many women were in the camp when you went there? I don't. You know, I don't even know. I want to say less than a hundred, mm -hmm. maybe one hundred and fifty. Yeah, I think it's. I think you can only have about two hundred women in yeah. there to click. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so so around between 200 and below um you know right now right now during covid there's only 30 women in there oh, really oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. did they move they move them around or what well, did they do well part of it was a result of that lawsuit at the uh the quinnipiac that's right Quinnipiac law yeah people brought but um yeah but we know a couple of, of the women who are in there now they're a member of our members of our white collar support group and, oh, okay, and um, it's pretty barren yeah, there. Yeah, I um, yeah. So I I got there. I I met um Beatrice Codiani, who is my friend to this day. Yeah. Um, she's from New Haven, and she was um, you know, she had got caught up in some Latin King mess, and she had already served I don't know, like twenty years or something or other. Was, um, and so was, when was, I got there, was Piper in there at the time? Oh, she was gone before I got there. Oh yeah, um, yeah, she was gone before I got there. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, 
so yeah, so I became friends with Beatrice and we became friends. I haven't, uh, I haven't talked to her in a minute, but, um, uh, but when I, when I got out, we were seeing each other pretty regularly for lunch and brunch. <laughs> she, she just celebrated, uh, she just celebrated her 70th birthday. Yeah. I need to, I need to catch up with her because I haven't yeah. talked to her in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I enjoy her so much, but I, I knew her before. Yeah. Uh, but when I got there, she was one of the friendly, she was waiting for me. And, uh, and she had the, uh, New Haven register with my picture on the front page. <laughs> um, and she was just like, you're going to be all right here. She's like, you've done some good. You've done enough good in the world where you're going to be all right. She's <laughs> like, just do your, just do your time. Stay out of trouble. Um, she yeah, and you, I did. She brought you your shower shoes, a set of shower shoes, toothbrush. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I tell you, I, I was, um, I was passionate about going because you know when you're on the outside you hear all the stereotypical things about what could happen to you there yeah. and none of that was true yeah uh, of course I, it, I mean it felt like i mean i i never got out of um the, the dorm situation the the group room mm-hmm. situation uh, because i was there i wasn't there long enough to get assigned to a room yeah. i wasn't there long enough to to really be um intake in fully um so uh so it just felt like a very like a like a like a dorm experience on steroids, except with like guards with guns, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it was it was it was an amazing twenty nine days, mm-hmm. and I I couldn't have been treated nicer. And you know, while I was there, I met women who uh, I think one of the most profound experiences I had was uh, I was with women who couldn't read, and they were getting letters from their children. And so I would sit on the bed and read their letters to them. And then I would write their children back for them. And they started gifting me with um, um, licorice because they, they found out that I, I couldn't have like candy because I have a dairy allergy. Mm-hmm. So they would, they would give me contraband <laughs> as a way to say, to say thank you for helping them. I, I couldn't understand it. Somebody had to explain it to me because I was like freaking out. I was like, somebody coming on to me they're like no dummy they're just trying to thank you for your for for helping them you know hear, hear, read their children's letters and read letters from whatever and so I, so that's what i spent my time doing in there um reading letters and writing letters mm-hmm. um sitting in the library and 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 helping people understand what they were reading and mm-hmm. you know um letters from their attorneys you know cuz there's nobody to help you do that kind of mm-hmm. stuff right mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I did that's, so that's how I spent my time and reading books. I, re- I read a book a day because there was nothing else for me to do. I wasn't there long enough to be assigned a job. So, did so my ki- time was really my own. <laughs> did your kids visit you when you were in there? No, I made the decision early on not to have my children visit. Mm-hmm. What I did do though, when I found out my, my number, my, my, your, you know, you get your, your register, number, register number, my register registered number i um i made up labels uh for my friends and family oh. with my name and 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 um number and gave them out to people so they could write me like my church family uh i gave it to my 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 then husband so that um he can the children could write me and he would take their letters and put them in an envelope and stick the sticker on it and mail it to me that's how i got the letters and then i would mail my letters back to him in an envelope so, so that they would never see that it was from prison. Yeah. And they would never mail it to prison. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh, so he, they just put like mom. Oh, so you kids and he didn't put it in the envelope. So, so they kids, didn't know. Your kids didn't know, know you were busy, but they yeah. didn't know. No, they didn't know. They just thought I was away on a on a on a work trip. <laughs> Because they were little. That, they were little. That, that's what Lynn um, and her ex told Skylar. That's what they, they told her. I, I was away on business. I, when I was away for a year, they, I, I'm sure she started to think, you know, Jeff's away a long time. <laughs> but, but, you she, know, little kids, time is, time is irrelevant. Like, yeah. they, you know, a day is a year. A year is two minutes. I mean, it yeah. isn't. You know, um, and so that 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 kind of—I mean—they know now because they're all my children are all adults. Yeah, um, they know now. Um, but but I didn't think that was um, in their best interest to tell them. Yeah. You know, when they're like six and seven years old, and you know, ten years old. I mean, it just didn't—it didn't. You know, and I—it I, wasn't that I was ashamed. I just didn't—I just didn't have enough time to process process that with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, so people around us kept up, kept 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 up. Kept, respected my wishes mm-hmm. um and uh and 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 chipped in my church family was amazing i mean yeah. they really were amazing you know they helped lawrence um uh, with dinners and um uh, they helped uh my friends helped and sorority sisters helped everybody helped the best that they could so so i never missed a beat so when i got out uh, i got out on the on the i went in october 1st i got out october 29th uh, by October, by by Halloween, I was taking my kids trick or treating. <laughs> I didn't miss a beat. What, what what church were you going to back then? It wasn't Redeemer. Where Redeemer was it? Redeemer. Yeah, it was Redeemer. Oh, that was yeah. my church for twenty years. I know. Yeah, that was yeah, my church. You know, we we we're, we're still pining for Redeemer, right? I know. I, you know, they sold the the building, got sold, and it's going to be apartments. Really. Yeah, because you know we we made a decision to shut down our church. We we uh, we have doled out our endowment um, to uh, to uh, sister churches and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, um, people have found other church homes mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So, so so where are Rochelle in uh, Maryland now? I, I don't know where Maryland. I think Maryland is solely fully retired now. Mm-hmm. I think she's really retired from ministry. Um, Rochelle was in. Um, she was at Hartford for a minute, but she just taken on another um, church somewhere in Connecticut. She just taken on another church. Yeah, I read about like it. an interim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. I, you know, I follow her on Facebook, so I, I stay on top of what she's doing. Yeah. Um, and her kids are grown up, just like my kids are grown up, mm-hmm. and they're all graduated from college. So, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So now you come out of prison in your home. And you got to remake your life and things, oh. things with Lawrence are, are you two split up at this point or? Uh, oh yeah. Well, we split up before I went in. He mm-hmm. moved out before I, he moved back in to care for the children Yeah. while I was away. But he had left, um, he left before I was sentenced. Although he did come with me to sentencing. Um, he, he had moved out. Uh, uh, it was stressful. So, uh, and then, you know, I was in, I tell you, I was in bankruptcy court, criminal court and divorce court all. That's <laughs> ugly. I, I was in all the courts of the land <laughs> all at once. So, like, so, oh my so, God. So, so d- d- draw the line between um, 
where you are there and then becoming editor of inner city news and how you start to blossom, well, you know, blossom in your public life. I, you know, I, I, I had worked for the inner city news. Um, um, they're like 30 years old. So I, I came to them year two and they're in their second year of operation. So I, I, I've, I've been with them on and off for these 30 years. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and so, um, when I came out, I, I didn't have a job. I couldn't find a job. You know, it was one of those things where nobody would return your call. No one mm-hmm. wants to know you. You're damaged. Nobody wants, you know, nobody wants you around. Um, so I didn't have a job. So my girlfriend owned a bookstore. So she, she let me work at her bookstore to satisfy my, um, my probation mm-hmm. employment requirement, yeah. which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and she paid me a little bit of money to, to, to run her bookstore, which was mm-hmm. a godsend. Um, and, uh, and then I ran into my friend um, John Thomas, who runs, the, who owns the Inner City newspaper. Yeah. I ran into him in the post office, and he was like, "Hey, what are you doing? Wait, you, you need a job." <laughs> I was like, "Do I need a job?" He's like, "Listen, come by and see me. We can talk about this." I was like, "Okay." And so I went by to see him. He's like, "You know, I could really use you. Like, you know, if you if you have time, if you feel up to it." I was like, I need a job, and uh, I don't, I don't really care what you need me to do. I just, if you can pay me, that would be good. He's like, yeah, I can pay. I can't pay you what you're worth. He's like, but I can, I can put something in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and, ever, and that's just been it. And so I've been there ever since. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, I've had a relationship with him for thirty years, but I've been there for like the last what, however long I've been out, fifteen years, I guess, yeah. 10, 15, I don't know, yeah. however long. Over at Fifty Fitch, up, upstairs from the parole office. <laughs> That's how people know that building. Yeah, well, you know they're gone, but uh, oh, parole's gone. Yeah, they've been gone. Mm. They've been gone. Uh, some different people own the building now. So, mm. so yeah. So I started there. Uh, I started there. Uh, I had already started. Uh, I was a blogger, so I already was beginning my online presence. I had a. I had a couple of blogs that were. Um, you know, pretty popular. Um, and so I was making friends in the vert in the internet world. Yeah. Um, because I was, uh, I was, I had pretty much exiled myself in, in from, from, you know, um, city life from being seen in the city. No one saw me. I didn't do anything or go anywhere. Uh, I was pretty much, you know, uh, just an internet presence mm-hmm. and I had popular blogs. So, so that's how I was known. And then um, I just started. Was, was, that, was that the first Love Babs blog? Uh, yeah, Love Babs. Yes. The first Love. Yes. The first Love Babs blog. And then I started doing um, Love Babs Love Talk on the Internet. Yeah, right. I started doing that. And Paul um, Bass, who was always a friend of mine, um, her, had knew that I was doing this Internet radio thing and was interested in it and he had said to me you know i'm applying to the fcc for a community radio and you know if i get it i want you to come and you know do what you do over here so that was a few years out and i you know i hadn't thought anything else about it i just said yes because it's paul no we had a real no but the the justice imperative came before the conversation with paul didn't it uh yeah no Oh no, no! No, it was that it was at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, that the radio station just didn't. We had a conversation about the oh, radio yeah. station, 
but it it didn't happen until after Justice Imperative. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. So describe describe the, the the Justice Imperative and Malta Justice and that book coming out. Not that because that's how you know. I didn't even know how I got. I don't know how I got called into that. How did I get called into that? Well, I think no, it was Maryland. No. Well, what happened was is that they wanted to invite thirty community editors that were from academics and, uh, and how did they find me? I don't know how they found me either. I don't know. I think Maryland, I think it was Maryland. Yeah. Maryland Maryland was on there. And, um, so with John Santa and the multi justice imperative people were writing a book called the justice imperative, which was going to be the. Connecticut's answer or response to Michelle Alexander's book. Exactly. And it it was going to be the state of, criminal justice in Connecticut with, uh, with a lot of takeaways. And uh, Brian Moran at Robertson Cole wound up being the chief writer of the book. But it was mostly done at um, John Santa's um, direction, not the book itself, but the whole movement. And they pulled us all together. And, um, and so there's maybe 30 editors. And that's where you and I met. Yes, and, and we and we look around, and there's like thirty people in this room, and on a criminal justice book, and you and I are the only ones who've been to prison, <laughs> right? So we bonded pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, no, we did, and then we took over their blog, and they didn't like what we did. But I thought, I I, I think if they would have just really left us alone. They would have had a. They would have really gotten a, an amazing audience. Yeah. Um, they didn't understand the internet at all. They didn't understand this. I mean, they really could have positioned themselves to be a voice. We were. We really. I, th- I'm telling you. I still thought that was a very prolific thing. You know, they wanted it to be more local, but I was like, you can't. You can't be local until you branch out and see what other people are doing yeah. and then bring it in. And then so that local people can see what other people are doing yeah. so that they too can believe that they can do some of this around um, the issues that people were doing. People were doing some amazing stuff around the country, around reentry. Um, and Connecticut just wasn't, Connecticut just wasn't on, on, on par with some of these places that were doing innovative, cool stuff. I mean, it just wasn't. And so, um, and we were really working hard, Jeff, to like just show, like, look what look what people are doing around the country around reentry and, and incarceration and the conversations and the and the and the um, think pieces that were out there. And they just was not feeling it. And I was like, how can you not be feeling this? Like, do you know what you could do with you know allowing us to you know um, you know um, corral this content? To curate this content, they didn't see the value in it. Um, well, we, we were having we were having a lot of conversations with people in Oakland and Philadelphia, and right people were on the cutting edge, and they wanted us to come into the conversation. They needed us as much as we needed them, and um, and I guess that's not really the way they, uh, that the justice imperative saw it, but. Um, I'm still grateful to them. I'm grateful. Oh no, I, I'm very grateful because it because it got us thinking about how we could um, be in these conversations and yeah. what was needed. Um, and so, uh, so uh, criminal justice insider was born, right? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I remember sitting around with you saying, you know, we, we, should do, we should do a radio show about this. Yeah. And, then, and, and, and then what happened was is that you went off to start your Love Babs radio show at WNHH. And what year was that? I don't know. It's been four years, so. Yeah, so 2016 <laughs> in there somewhere. And at about yeah. the same time, roughly, um, I became the CEO, executive director, family reentry. Oh, that's right. Yes. Right. Yes. So it wasn't that many months after that where. Nope, uh, it wasn't. No, no. It was like right around then we came together and we said, we, we, we might have something here. And we did. And we, and we, and, and we launched the, the radio show. And it, and it worked, it worked out good. Like I, I thought, uh, I still think it's a good vehicle. People, people, uh, 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 respect it and admire it and like it. And, uh, we've had good conversations and I, I, I just love it because there's nobody else having conversations with this, with this community. No. I mean, there's nobody, I mean, people will have some of these people on as guests, but our focus is about this community yeah. and, and having these conversations about what is going on in these communities, what is going on in this community around, um, you know, what are these people doing? Who is doing what in, 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 um, in, in these incarceration conversations and, and reentry, you know, and legislatively. Like, that's real real what, what what i think helped kick it off was that our first two guests were robin porter the connecticut legislator and scott semple who was then the connecticut commissioner of corrections and we and we didn't even know what we were going to do really it was just we were just kicking it off babs and we said to both of them we really want you to tell your personal stories. Remember that? We want, we want people to connect on a personal level. And then Robin Porter, because she's a friend of yours, and yes. she, she's sitting there in our studio, and she starts talking about her son who's incarcerated and how difficult it was as a, um, as a black woman raising a male son to not get killed on the streets and how, how she succeeded or failed as a mother. And she made it so personal. And to this day, people ask me about the Robin Porter interview. Mm. And she was our first one. Yeah. And then the second one, Scott Semple came on and he talked about the death of his son at i think age 14 and before he before matt died from from cancer um scott had been offered the job as commissioner of corrections and he didn't know if he wanted to take the job because his son and his wife uh you know krista were were in that moment and um they told him they said we, Dad, we need you to do this. You know, this is important. You can help a lot of people. And people were crying listening to this. And I said, wow, there are stories out there, Babs. I mean, there are people involved in all aspects of criminal justice that are, their stories are just yeah, not. Yes, I mean, I, I think that's the, 
it's the, the beauty of, of this that that and there's you know and there's there's no end to it right like as long as there are people coming in and out of prison and there's going to be stories that ought to be heard you know that we humanize people um and not just people coming in and out of prison but everybody who works in the prison complex system yeah or anybody who has their hands um in the prison complex system you know which you know if you're a legislator Later, or or a case manager, or a probation officer, or a nonprofit—you know—all these, all these hands, or or um, people who who have um, uh, criminal justice um, academic programs. Yep. Right. And and you know. and I have to admit, I think we got lucky in a way that it was a time of such great change, and budgetary constraints and people were trying to find their way through to resources that were changing rapidly and and even still you know they're right now i who even knows what 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 programs and and um resources are available for people coming out of prison now with the with covid and and uh, uh retraction of government programs because of lack of money. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel honored to give them a voice. I feel. I do too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I find this to be rewarding and I, you know, I don't really have, um, um, ambitious, um, thoughts of making this bigger than what it is or whatever. I think, I mean, I think the richness is as long as we stay authentic to the conversations, um, and authentic to, um, highlighting people and we're not exploiting people and we and, and i don't feel like we do exploit no. anyone or their story um you know and we, and we 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 talk to all kinds of people uh from people who make the rules to people who break the rules you know uh wait 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 i gotta write that one down it's <laughs> a good one i mean we just do uh and everything in between i mean that's what makes us uh necessary um and needed in terms of what we do, we give, you know, bringing people, giving people opportunity to talk about uh, a matter that affects us all. I mean, it, it just touches us all. So, so Babs, where I want to go in this last segment before we kind of close up is, so you went from someone who came home from prison and you were kind of in isolation sitting at inner city news and you hadn't reintegrated with New Haven or Connecticut. And now you're like the most popular person <laughs> in New Haven and Connecticut, which is true, right? So how does that happen? Because you're on the boards of arts programs and, uh, and children's programs and, and, your, um, and your sorority and everywhere I look, there's, and, and Next Haven and you're, and you're doing speaking engagements. and. So, so I don't think you instantly became an extrovert. I think that that's how you lived your life. And then you had this time period that you had to kind of be compacted. And now you're reliving your authentic life. So like, tell us what you're doing out there and, 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 and how you're connecting with the whole community and, and how that makes you feel. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think you're right. I, I am an extrovert. I'm not an introvert. I'm an extrovert. Um, 
my self exile was my own of my own doing, uh, but it was necessary because I, you know, I had a self worth issue after I came out of prison. I didn't feel worthy to be in community, and I was so ashamed. I mean, I was just, I was, I was woefully ashamed, woefully ashamed. Um, I didn't want to be seen. I didn't think people wanted to see me, um, and so I just thought I would just stay out of public, out of the public view. Um, now, uh, I don't feel that way. Uh, uh, I, I believe in service to my community. Uh, I, I believe I still have some, something good to offer. Uh, I, I believe I have some talent to, to give, um, um, to things. Um, and I, I love, uh, being in the mix of, of, of art and intellect. I, I love it. Um, and so, uh, well, that's how I get to, to, to do all the things because, uh, I enjoy them and I have some talent for it. Um, and I, and I think I'm, 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 you know, when, when, uh, when the judge said, you know, go back, when you finish, serve your time and then go back and get your life back. Um, this is me getting my life back. This is my getting my life back so, and doing the things. So, so give give the list of of the um, nonprofits that you're involved in. I know you're. I know you're. I, mean, embar- I know you're embarrassed to do it, but I. W- but I. I think that it's really important for people who are going through this to understand that most of your biography now is stuff that happened after prison. Right, like if, if if there's the Babs yeah. bio, right, if there's the Bob's biography, ninety percent of it is stuff that happened after prison. So, when people go through criminal justice problems, they think their life is over. Yeah, and so it's not over. so, I mean, I want you to be, I, I want you to tell people right now, like what you're involved in, and and that people are seeking you out to be on their programs, not really the other way around. I, I, I've seen it with you. Like you get a call, Jobs, will you do this? <laughs> right. I, I mean, I, I, I serve on, uh, I serve on common ground high school, uh, board. My children came to that school. It is a urban farm school, um, rooted in, um, environmental justice kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I chair that board. I'm a co-chair of that board. I'm on the Long Wharf Theater board. Uh, I'm on the Planned Parenthood. Long Wharf Theater that's just got a bunch of money to be able yes, to keep their doors open, right? Yes. Yes, we did. Uh, I serve on, uh, um, the Planned Parenthood of Southern New England, which is Connecticut and Rhode Island I'm on mm-hmm. that board. I'm on the, uh, Arts Council of Greater New Haven board. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a member of, uh, the New Haven Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, uh, uh, and I—that's—I think that—that's it. And and the most recent one, or maybe not the most recent one, but the the most uh, visible one, is you're a member of the Grade Eight. Yes, I'm a member of the Grade Eight, which is a wonderful honor. All right, so so here's a little Grade Eight story. So um, they were looking for the eight inaugural. Um, um, what's it called? Uh, inductees for the Connecticut uh, Hall of Change, which is basically a Connecticut Criminal Justice Hall of Fame. People who've been successful after prison, and it was put together by Charlie Grady, 
who uh, has a long history of service in the community. Uh, amongst other things, he's the uh, uh, Connecticut FBI uh, uh, reentry and outreach person, but a lot of other things too, a lot. And um, playwright. Well, we've had him on our. We've had him on Criminal Justice Insider. I'm not going to speak too much about credit. And he called me up after the um, applications were put in. He called me up and he said, "I want to tell you that Babs has been named one of the inaugural inductees, but we don't want to tell her yet. <laughs> we don't want to tell her, and and you can't tell anybody. But we're going to have a big dinner, and." Or we're going to have a big ceremony and Babs is going to get surprised. And I said, well, look, we'll, we'll put you guys on the radio. We'll, we'll make a whole thing out of this. And they had these plans and I was, and Lynn and I were like freaking out. Like we were so excited for you. And then COVID happens and everything, yes. everything is shut down. Right. And Charlie's yeah, going, oh, yeah. we can't do the induction ceremony. We can't do the dinner. We can't do this. Ultimately, um, you did get inducted along with some uh, um, seven other beautiful people, who, um, uh, all of whom we know. I mean, it's yes, incredible. All of whom we know. <laughs> and, and all of whom I think have been on the radio show. So it's. Yes. <laughs> and um, what a beautiful moment, you know, just to celebrate not just you and your accomplishments and the others and their accomplishments, but like a, a gathering of the, of the community, you know, celebration. You know, it's so needed because when you, when you listen, when you come through that, all that we have all come through, you're not thinking anybody's going to give you an award for a damn thing ever again. <laughs> you are not thinking that anybody's going to give you a, a, a high five or praise. Um, and so to still, to get an award, um, um, at this point, it's just, it's just, a, it's a beautiful thing. And it, it's, it's enough to give people hope and to reaffirm that, that they're on the right path. That's, that's how I, I, I take it, you know? Yeah. And, um, to get an award. And so you got this beautiful Lucite award. And, yes. And, and, and I got a jacket and, and, and swag. <laughs> and, and they did the unveiling of the plaque at uh which 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 prison was it somewhere i gotta go i want to when the weather gets better i want to drive up old gate east gate the 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 prison from like 250 years ago yeah yeah beautiful so i would i would love to go see it um so um in closing babs um why don't you just give a few words of inspiration for everyone because um you're such an important part of the fabric of uh, of the criminal justice community, not just in Connecticut, but also nationally. And um, and you're wise, you know. I mean, you, you help out so many people. So maybe you can just give a few words of inspiration, and then if anybody wants to contact you, how how would they do that? Well, people can always count my my. You know, you can always catch me on a. a my email, mediababs at gmail. So you can always catch me there. Um, you can always find uh, Love Babs Love Talk on Facebook and Instagram, or you can find me on Instagram. Um, so, I mean, I can be found. I'm not, you just walk down the street and wave and scream my name and you'll find me. I'm not hard. Like, I'm not hiding. 
I, I, think, I, I, I know you're on Instagram, man. <laughs> no way. Although, although Jeff, you got you got more social media game than I do. Yeah, but oh. but, you, but you take the best selfie in the business. <laughs> I think the only the only words of wisdom and encouragement that I get can give people is that in in these in, 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 they're the darkest darkest moments when you think this is it. It is not it. Like it, that is not the end. Like when you feel at your most broken and you think. I can't go on. Yeah, you can. You can go on. You can. You must. You should. You shall. Uh, and you will. Uh, I learned that because I, I never, I, you know, when you're in those hard moments, you think they're going to go on forever. And this is all there is. And they, they don't. I mean, life is really sweet right now. But do I have everything I need? No. Um, am I without challenges? No. But man, oh man, oh man, 